This morning, I hope to talk to you about why River Rock Bible Church is committed to church planting. And some of you may be saying, what is church planting? Like, do you get church seeds or what do you do? Uh, and I'm going to answer that question in just a little bit. But just to give you a little bit of uh, our background and who we are as a church, our vision at River Rock Bible Church is that every man, woman, and child would hear and experience the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ. That is our vision for every man, woman, and child to experience the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ. And we actually have a strategy for how we hope to accomplish that. Now, our strategy is pretty simple. We want to multiply disciples. First and foremost, we want to multiply disciples. And some of you are saying, like, what is a disciple? What does that mean? Don't worry. We're going to answer that question as well. Next, we want to multiply churches. We want to start new churches that are spiritually vibrant and strategically located. We want to find where populations are growing, where there's maybe church, people who are unreached by churches in their area, and we want to plant there. We want to plant churches where the Word of God is being taught, where lives are being changed, right? Our, our uh, vision is not just to start churches, to start churches, um, the third thing we want to do is we want to partner with like-minded ministries. Many of you see this t-shirt on today, something we did yesterday called Love G-Town, where we partnered with about 16 other churches in, the George, in Georgetown to go out and serve our city in the name of Jesus. And that's just one of the things that we've done throughout the years to partner with like-minded ministries. We also partner with like-minded churches because we believe that in order to reach every man, woman, and child, it's going to take every man, woman, and child. And so if there's a church that's proclaiming the gospel, we want to partner with them to accomplish this mission because this mission, this vision is not our vision. This is God's vision for the world, that everyone would have the opportunity to hear the gospel and respond to it. And so we want to be uh, intentional about what we do. Now, I'll give you a little bit of our history. As I mentioned, my wife and I, five years ago, six years ago, we were living in the Dallas area. I was just uh, a youth pastor, and uh, at the time, God started calling us to church planting. Uh, And uh, we started looking into some different things and different options, and we heard about this church called Hill Country Bible Church down in Austin. I was told that Hill Country Bible Church does church planting and that maybe I should get connected with them. And I got connected with them, and I did a one-year residency in church planting. And one of the things that I love about Hill Country and why we came to the greater Austin area to plant was actually because of the association of Hill Country churches. You see, Hill Country Bible Church was started in 1986, and shortly after that, they uh, developed a vision to reach the greater Austin area to reach this area, and in 1995, they planted their first church, which was Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown, and to date, they have planted 31 churches, and we have a map of the 26, so you can see throughout all, all the greater Austin area, here's Austin, Pflugerville, Georgetown, there are 26 churches currently that have been planted, some of those, as I mentioned, there were 31, some of those have merged, some of those didn't make it. Um, on average, about 60 to 65% of church plants actually make it to year four. Uh, we, within our association, we've got about an 81, 82% success rate, which is actually really good considering the national average. And you can see some of them uh, all the way up in San Saba and all the way down in Gonzales. But for the most part, as an association of churches, we've said, hey, what are we going to do together to reach this greater Austin area. There's 1.7 million people projected to grow to 3 million people by, 30, by 2020, uh, 2030. What are we going to do 
to reach this area. And we share a common vision, we share a common uh, theological statements, and we share a common strategy of multiplying disciples, multiplying churches, and partnering with like-minded churches. And so in 2013, after one year in residency, River Rock Bible Church was planted right here in Georgetown. In November of 2013, just two months in, our elders were meeting, and some of the other churches in our association said, hey, what would it look like for us to get together and plan a church together, because none of us has enough money and resources to actually plan a church on our own, what would it take for us to do it together? And so we partnered with five other churches in our association to work together to plant another church. And the elders of this church at that time said, hey, we're only a few months old. Uh, We don't know where things are going. We're not going to wait to get into the church playing game. So we're going to set aside $10,000 of our budget, and we're going to give that to plant, help plant this new church, and we're going to allow our pastor the time he needs to coach this other church planner with these, these other pastors. So after a two-year process, we finally came across a church planter and uh, found the guy that God was calling to be the church planner. And in 2015, Renovate Church Austin was planted. It's actually in Leander, but Renovate Church was planted. And these five churches worked together to plant this new church that is, is doing a great job in Leander of reaching their geography with the gospel. And so where do we go from there? Well, that's kind of our history of church planning and uh, just kind of give you guys an idea of where we are now. Currently, River Rock Bible Church is working with Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown, and Hutto Bible Church, two churches in our association, to work to plant in Hutto, uh, excuse me, in Taylor by 2020. And uh, we've set aside some funds. The churches have all talked about what it's going to take, and we've talked about what do we have to do and, and how are we doing it, training people to go, and our one thing that you can be praying for right now is we are praying for a church planter. We are praying for a a man and his family to come and say, we feel like God is calling us to tailor to plant. Uh, And then the second thing that's on our list is part of our five-year plan a couple years ago as elders was that we wanted to plant out of River Rock Bible Church by 2020. Again, uh, a lot of this depends on finding the right guy and having the right resources and, and we're working towards that, but you could be praying for us. We're praying about a location. We're praying about a church planter and all those things. And we realize 2020 is coming up faster than what we expected. Um, and so just join us in praying because we have a vision for these things. If it's not 2020, it'll be 2021. If it's not 2021, it'll be 2022. But our vision is to see a church uh, multiply from River Rock Bible Church that there would be another church planted here in the greater Austin area where men, women, and children will have the opportunity to experience the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ. And that still kind of brings us back to our first question. Why plant another church? Why plant another church? I want to give you two reasons uh, why we want to plant another church. Number one is that it's biblical. Number one reason why we are so passionate about planting churches is that it's biblical. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I know it's going to be a different version on the screen, but this is the version that I have it memorized in. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth. How much authority? Some of it? All of it. Yeah, thank you. Heresy. That's right. If if I ever say anything that's not in Scripture, if I say it wrong, you say heresy, right? Let's practice. Some authority. All right. How much authority? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make people who will sit in chairs on Sunday morning. All right. Go and make people who will sometimes come to uh, Backyard Bible Club. 
No, what's it say? Go make what? Disciples of some of the nations. No, it says, go make disciples of all nations, and then he gives us how. He says, by baptizing them and teaching them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. And if you're a fan of airplane like I am, don't call me Shirley, right? Uh, I just, I, every time I say that, I think of that line. So he says, go and make disciples, and then he tells them how. He says, by baptizing. And here's the thing. In the New Testament, what we see is that baptism is closely linked to brand new believers. In fact, every single instance that we read about someone putting their trust in Jesus Christ, they are immediately baptized with one exception. The one exception is Paul, and that's because it took three days for Paul, and, uh, Paul to get connected with the guy that was going to baptize him, right? And so every single time we see that someone's, someone trusts Christ and then they're baptized immediately. So when Jesus says baptizing them, he means evangelizing. He means going out and getting new converts. And then he says, once you baptize them and, and in their minds they, they've solidified their commitment to Jesus Christ, then you begin teaching them to obey. And what do we teach them to do? We teach them to go and make disciples. We teach them to obey everything he commanded, which was to make disciples. And then in Acts 1.8, he says this, he says, and you will be, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so what he gives them here is not just the command, he also gives them a strategy. He tells them, hey, look, I believe we have a map here. He says, we're going to start small, we're going to start exactly where you are, and then we're going to expand out from there. So we've got Jerusalem way down here. And then we're going to expand out to Judea and Samaria, and then we're going to go to the ends of the earth. And he says, look, just start right where you are. And you're going to make disciples there, and then you're going to start expanding out from there. So how did the disciples understand this command to make more disciples? What was their process for doing that? Well, let's look at Acts 14. I want us to look at Acts 14, beginning in verse 21. And this is about Paul and Barnabas on their trip. He says, After they had evangelized that town and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith and by telling them it's necessary to pass through many troubles on the way to the kingdom. When they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And then they passed through Pisidia and Pamphylia. So what happens? What we see is that the early church understood that what they were called to do was to plant churches. What's it say? It says that Paul and Barnabas go into the city. They make disciples, right? Sound familiar? They make disciples. They evangelize. They make disciples. And then we read about the appointment of elders. What do they do? They gather these people together as a church. And they say, now your responsibility is this geography, is this geography, this Iconium, city of Iconium, you are responsible, church. You are responsible for reaching this geography. Let's look at this map real quick from Acts 14. This is Paul's first missionary journey. And what you'll see here is the cities listed, uh, Iconium, Derby, Lystra. They're all pretty close to each other, Antioch. Uh, and then eventually they make their way back to Antioch in Syria. And this is modern-day Turkey right here. But what you can see is they went from town to town, and they would evangelize people. They would make disciples, and then what do they do? They appoint elders, leadership over them, and say, all right, now you guys, we're going back. We're going back to another city, but you guys are now responsible for reaching. This is now your Jerusalem. Lystra, 
This is your Jerusalem. Reach this geography and expand out from there. That's how they understood. They understood that the Great Commission meant planting churches. Uh, further evidence for that comes from First Timothy, uh, excuse me, from Titus one verse five. It says, the reason I left you in Crete, this is Paul talking to Timothy, was to set right what I had left undone, as I directed you to appoint elders in every town. So what happens? Paul leaves Titus in Crete because he had gone, he had evangelized, and he had made some disciples, but he hadn't yet formed, uh, uh, I guess, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? My mind's going blank. He, He had yet to gather the people together and put them together under leadership as a church. And to to gather them and say, okay, you guys now have a mission, which is to reach your area, your part of Crete. And what we see is that there's multiple churches. There's different churches throughout this area. So the disciples understood that the way they were going to make disciples wasn't by just going and making one disciple and then having him be a Lone Ranger Christian. It was going to take the church. Jesus himself said this when Peter has his great confession in Matthew 16. What does Jesus say? He says, you are Peter. Uh, And by the way, the word Peter that he uses there means pebble, like small rock. And he says, upon this rock, the word he uses there means ginormous mountain-sized rock. Upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Who builds the church? That's a question. Who builds the church? Jesus builds the church, right? But what does he say? The gates of hell will not overpower it. Jesus is using some pretty strong language here. He's using some military language. Think about what a gate does. What does a gate do? It keeps people out, right? And what is the church supposed to be doing here? The church is supposed to be advancing. That's exactly right. The church is supposed to be advancing, taking down the gates of hell. Too often, we feel like our job is to, to just kind of be the gate and make sure the, that hell doesn't encroach on us, but we don't realize that Jesus tells us we're to go out and we're to break down those walls. We're to be advancing. And again, let's see that, that Acts 1.8. Let's see that map one more time. You'll be my witnesses in Ju- Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Let's look at this map. What are they doing? Right here. They start here, and they expand out. And then they expand out from there. The church is advancing all throughout the book of Acts. That is our call. That's how they understood that they were going to to reach every man, woman, and child and to make disciples of all nations was that they had to plant churches that were strategically located and spiritually vibrant. And so they started moving from town to town, preaching the gospel, making disciples, and then gathering together so that they could then reach their area where God had planted them. That's the biblical standard that we see. But there's also uh, some practical things. We see from Scripture that God gives them a strategy for gospel saturation. That, hey, you stay here in this area and you just saturate. You don't have to be responsible for the whole world. God has placed you here. Acts 17.26 says, God has determined the times and places that man should live, that they would seek him out, though he is not far from them. God has placed you in your Jerusalem right here. And your responsibility is to begin reaching your Jerusalem. And the way we do that is we do that as the church. That's why at River Rock Bible Church, we, don't, we say we don't go to church. We, we are the church. We are the church. And our job, our mission, our goal is to make disciples and to be advancing on the gates of hell. 
Let's talk about some practical reasons why we want to plant churches. National average in America, a couple years ago, 2014, 17.7% of people attend church at least once a month. 17.7% of people attend church once a month. In Georgetown, we have a total population of 63,716 by the latest count that I could find. And what that means is that on any given Sunday, there's 11,000 people uh, that may or may not attend church here in Georgetown. Uh, One of the things that we have to understand is that a big reason why we need to plant churches is actually because of church decline. Statistics show that over the last 10 years, between 3,500 and 7,000 churches close their doors every year. Between 3,500 and 7,000 churches close every single year. From 2000 to 2004, there would have need to have been 13,000 brand new churches just to keep up with the growth of the population. Now you factor in the 7,000 churches that have closed their doors. We now need 20,000 brand new churches just to keep the statistic the same at 17% of people being able to attend church on a Sunday morning. You see the, the gap? Do you see the need? That there's a big gap between what's there and what's needed you put on top of that that between 80 and 85% of churches have plateaued or are declining. 80 to 85% of churches have plateaued or are declining. Get this, of the 15% that are growing, they're only growing by transfer growth. That means when this small church over here doesn't make it, they just transfer to one of the bigger churches and they call that church growth. Now where in the Great Commission did you see that we're to make disciples of people who just are changing churches. How does that fit in with the Great Commission? It's not about just growing a church. It's about reaching the lost. And what we're finding is that as, as the church in America, that we're not doing a very good job. We're not doing a very good job because the only churches that are actually growing are just, it's called shuffling the sheep, right? Let's imagine... I have a deck of 52 cards, and I know you're thinking, Pastor, we all know you're not playing with a full deck, but let's imagine that I've got a deck of 52 cards, and I split it into two halves. I've got 26 in each half. All the, how, many, how many cards are in each half? 26. What if I take from, from this one, 10 from this one, and put them over here? I've now got 36 here, and I've got 16 over here. I still only have 52 cards, right? And that's what's happening with the church in America. We're just reshuffling the deck. We're just moving sheep around is all we're doing. And we need to be advancing on the gates of hell. Uh, Came across some interesting statistics here in in Georgetown and Williamson County. For Williamson County, it's estimated, or Georgetown, we have, let's let's look at this. This uh, chart is going to represent the 63,716 residents. Across Williamson County, it was reported in 2014 that 37.5% of people consider themselves religious. So if we apply that to Georgetown, that means 23,575 people say they're religious. Of those 37%, only 22% claim to be Protestant, which means there's only 14,017 Christians, people that claim to be Christians, here in Georgetown. Now, I want us to to think about this. There's only 14,000 people that claim to be Protestant here in Georgetown. That means uh, that we have a lot of work to do. That means there's a lot of work to do. 49,698 people. 49,698 people who do not claim Christ as their Savior in Georgetown. 
a very conservative area. We have a lot of work to do. We have a lot of work to do. If you multiply that out to Williamson County, that's 425,042 people. For the greater Austin area, that's 1.56 million people who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Georgetown is consistently ranked among one of the fastest-growing cities. Uh, Not only do we have the church decline to think about, but we also have population growth. And let's just look at these numbers real quick. Um, In 2017, we have 63,716. 2018, according to the statesmen, we're projected to grow anywhere from 5.5% to 7.8%. So that means this is what it'll look like in 2018, and then 2019, and then 2020. So we see that in three years, we could be as high as 75,000 to almost 80,000 people here in Georgetown. That's just inside the city limits. That doesn't count the ETJ, which will be over 100,000 by 2020, by all the projections. Now, this past week, I did a little bit of calling around to other pastors. I emailed, and I, I surveyed a number of pastors because this question ran through my head. If every person in Georgetown woke up on a Sunday morning and decided they wanted to go to a gospel-centered church, how many people could we sit? What do you think that number is? 4,000. Going once. Going twice. 3,200. All right? We found that there are, on Sunday morning, 12,000 seats, about. Actually, it was a little bit less than this, but I know I missed some churches, so I tried to estimate. But there's only about 12,000 seats. So what does that mean? That means there's 49,000 people, or excuse me, 51,000 people in Georgetown today that if they wanted to go to a church where the gospel is being preached, there wouldn't be a seat for them. This is their their max capacity on Sunday morning, the number of seats multiplied by the number of services. We have a long way to go to reach every man, woman, and child. We have a long way to go. Here's the thing. New churches reach new people. Why do we want to plant? Why do we want to start something new? Why can't we just build bigger churches? Why can't we just make our congregations bigger? One of the things that we see is that new churches tend to reach new residents at higher rates. New churches also reach new demographics at higher rates. So people that have lived here for five or more years, if they were going to go to an existing church, a lot of them would probably already be there. But there's something about starting something new that's attractive. But here's the other thing is that 47% of people uh, that were surveyed in 2016 said that they would attend church if they were invited. 47%. So you invite two people, one of them's going to show up, right? So we have a lot of work to do. New churches are reaching new people at much higher rates. And here's the great thing is that new churches are 16 times more effective at evangelism than existing churches. Churches that, have, that are planted with fewer than 100 people tend to gain 60 to 80% of their new members via conversion growth. I mean, 60 to 80% of the people that are coming are previously unchurched or are new conversions. Compare that to churches that start with over 100 people or are more than 15 years old. They're growing by 80 to 90% transfer growth. 80 to 90% transfer growth, only 10% conversion growth rate versus 60 to 80%. So what we see is that the evangelism is much higher in brand new churches. And why is that? Well, because what happens is you get 100 people in a pastor, 
And guess what? Hey, we can make our budget. We can, you know, I, I know everybody here. I like the way it feels. Why do we need to grow? Because here's the thing that, that we're going to see in just a minute is that uh, the pull of the church is always inward. It's always inward. Like we, we want to focus on the people that are here. That's just kind of the nature. I think that's human nature. But what, what does God call the church to do? Remember Acts 1.8. What direction were they going? Outward. Outward. So what we see, when you combine the biblical reasons with the practical reasons, especially evangelism, that we're, the new churches that start with under 100 members are 16 times more effective. And churches that plant within their first five years grow three times faster. What we see is that church planting is the greatest strategy of, of evangelism. It's the greatest strategy of evangelism. It's what the disciples understood. We go, we evangelize, we make disciples, we form them into a church, and we unleash them on their geography. See, to reach every man, woman, and child, it's not just about planning another church. It's about a movement of the gospel. It's about a movement of the gospel. What is church planting? What is church planting? Church planting is this. This is what we told our people when we were starting River Rock Bible Church. We said, we're going to plant the gospel, and we're going to watch a church spring up out of that. Because our desire is not to just start a church with a service on a Sunday morning. Our desire is for a movement of the gospel throughout Georgetown. Our desire is for a movement of the gospel throughout Georgetown because men, women, and children need Jesus. Not a single amen on that. Awesome. You guys are lame. Let me say that again. Men, women, and children need Jesus. Do you believe that? Do you believe when I was sitting here talking with my kids about uh, communion, I asked them what it meant and why did Jesus have to die on the cross? And what does it mean when we trust in Jesus? And they said, when we trust in Jesus, we get to go to heaven. And what does it mean for people who don't trust in Jesus? They don't get to go to heaven. And I said, no, tell me, where do they go? They go to hell. Hell is a real place. And without the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ, without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, people will die and go to hell. Are you willing to stand before Jesus someday and say, I lived in a town of 63,716 people and I was content with 49,000 of them going to hell? I'm not willing to do that. I'm not willing to stand before Jesus and say, you know what, I planted a church that... There was 5,000 people on Sunday morning, but 4,900 of those came from other churches. We need to be advancing. We need to be tearing down the gates of hell. Church planning is the greatest strategy of evangelism. There's only one reason to plant a church, and that is so that more people are reached. We want to plant a church that is God-glorifying, that is teaching sound doctrine according to Scripture, and we want to we want to plant a church that is preaching Jesus to a hurting, lost, and dying world. The reality is today that most churches are content with just focusing on themselves. They're content with just meeting the needs of the people that are there. And they're not tearing down the gates of hell. They're not advancing. Notice what Jesus says. He says, I will build my church church. What's interesting to me is that that means that there are perhaps some churches that aren't his church because they're not following his game plan for making disciples. They're not following his game plan for reaching the lost. 
And at River Rock, we want to be a church that is advancing on the gates of hell, tearing it down, seeing men, women, and children put their trust in Jesus Christ. So then what does it take? What does it take for us to plant a church? The first thing I want us to see is that church planting requires sacrifice. Church planting requires sacrifice. I already mentioned this, but the pull of the church is always inward. It's always inward, and it's not just the church. I think that's just our human nature, right? We want to protect what's ours. We want to serve the people that we already have, and it's very difficult for us to get our mind outside of us. We want more programs for ourselves. We want a building for ourselves. We want donuts for ourselves. But instead, the gospel calls us to go out, to be outward focused. Yes, we, we need to make disciples of the people that are already here. That is our calling. Ephesians 4.13 says that the pastors are to equip the saints for works of service, that we're to be about training people. But we're also to be training people, what is the work of service? That they would go out and reach more people. But what we see is that the pull of the church is always inward. It's this force that just kind of says, let's hunker down, let's huddle together. Isn't this great? And we start to lose focus of the mission that God has called us to be on. And so at River Rock, we are committed to making sacrifices. One of the first things that we sacrifice is our finances. We're committed to getting to a point as a church where where we're sending 10% of our budget out of the door towards missions and church planting. My vision personally, elders haven't agreed to this yet, but my vision personally is that one day we would be at a point where we were sending 10% to missions and 10% to church planting, that we're sending 20% of our budget out of the door. And what does that mean for us as a church? That means that we have to make sacrifices. That when it's time to hire another staff member, that we look and we say, you know what? We could, we could either hire another staff member or we could hire a church planner that we could train. And we could train this church planner and we could send him out. But that means that we're going to have to keep utilizing our volunteers to, to fill this position. Is that a sacrifice we're willing to make? You know what? We, we could start a building fund. And we could go build a building right now. Or maybe we keep running for a little bit longer and we put a little bit more towards church planting and missions. And we keep our focus outward. We trust that at the right time, God's going to allow us to have that building that he wants us to have. You know what? Second thing, the second part of this is that sometimes we may have to sacrifice people. Not like Jesus sacrificed people. But there's a church planner that comes. He's with us at River Rock Bible Church. He's with us for two years. And the time comes when he says, I'm going to plant. And I'm looking for people to come with me. And we say, take your pick. Take your pick. Who's going with him? And we need people to say, you know what? We'll move. We'll go with them. We'll go start something new. We'll go reach a new geography with the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ because we believe in the mission. And it's going to be a sacrifice because what tends to happen is the people that leave are the leaders. And think about this. I would love to see 10 families from this church go with our first church planter when that happens. Could be as early as 2020. We're a church of about 100. That means 20 adults, 20% of our church. Think about how different that would feel. What's that going to do to our church? Well, first thing, that means that we need to be doing something different. Church planting requires me to be a disciple. Church planting requires us to be making disciples currently because what happens is when that group leaves with the church planter, we need more leaders 
prepared, already ready to step up. The other thing is that means that we need people who are reaching the lost so that we can, again, hopefully two to three years after we plant a church, we're able to send out another church and another church and another church. And where are those people going to come from? They're going to replace the families that are going to help start these new churches. They're going to come from those 49,000 people who have yet to put their trust in Jesus Christ right here in Georgetown. That's our vision, that we would reach the lost, that we would disciple them, and that we would release them to reach every man, woman, and child. And what it requires is it requires me to be a disciple. Now, what is a disciple? Real quick, Matthew 4.19, Jesus gives us a great model of a disciple as he's calling some of his first disciples. He says, follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Let me break this down into three steps. What does it mean to be a disciple? First, you're a follower of Jesus, that you have a relationship with him through faith in his life, death, and resurrection, and that you're walking with him on a day-to-day basis, that you're a follower of Jesus. Second, he says, I will make. So a disciple is someone who is being changed by Jesus. They're experiencing on a daily basis that life-changing reality of Jesus Christ. Are you allowing Jesus to make you into a disciple? And the third thing is, he says, I'll make you fish for people. Jesus says, hey, follow me, let me change you, and then live on mission with me. So the third aspect of being a disciple is that you would live on mission. You would live on mission. And I think this is where a lot of us who might consider ourselves disciples, maybe we have a lot of Bible knowledge, this is where a lot of us fall short because we're not living on mission. We're not advancing. We're not tearing down the gates of hell with the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ. So what what does all this mean for us? We have three ways to respond and the first one is, if you'd pull out your connection card, I would love to, to just point you to something on the back. And it says, I'm, my next step today is, I'm interested in. One of those boxes there says, a formal discipleship relationship. If we are going to plant churches out of River Rock Bible Church, if we are going to reach our geography, if we're going to reach Georgetown, if we're going to reach Williamson County, if we're going to reach this greater Austin area, we need men, women, and children who are trained as disciples who are walking with someone who's going to come alongside of them and say, hey, how are you doing at following Jesus? How are you doing at being changed by Jesus? How are you doing at living on mission for Jesus? So that we can raise up not just one, but two, three, four generations of Christ followers who would say, you know what, we're going to go with this church. You know what, I'm going to, I don't feel like God's called me to go with a church plant, but you know what my role is? My role is to look around the room and find out which men aren't currently being disciples so that I can disciple them up because one of those men might go with a church plant. And I need to train them up. I need them to be prepared to go when God calls them. I need that woman to be prepared to go when God calls her. I need that young lady to be prepared when God says he wants her to go with a church plant. I need that young lady to be prepared to train up someone else to lead in my ministry area when God calls me to go. I believe that God has given this church everything it needs. I believe that God has given this church everything it needs. I believe that within this church we have future staff members. I believe that within this church we have future missionaries. And I believe that within this church we have future church planters. Our task as a church is to begin walking with the Lord and asking those questions and discipling 
ourselves, being discipled and making disciples of other people to see where all those things are. Who are those people that God has given us? Because I believe that God gives every single one of us spiritual gifts. And every single member of this church is called to be a minister. But it starts with becoming a disciple. Will you make that decision to follow him, to join him on mission and to be changed in that process? There's three things that I want to ask you to do. First thing I want to ask you to do today is to pray. Just start praying. God, would you have me at some point go with a church plant? God, what is my role? Is there someone I'm supposed to be discipling so that when I go, there are more leaders at River Rock Bible Church? Or God, is there someone that I'm supposed to be discipling so that when you call them, they're prepared to lead at a new church plant? God, is there someone that you're calling me to disciple who may be the next children's minister at our, at our future church plant? What are you calling me to do, Lord? The second thing I'd ask you to do is to consider giving. Um, this morning, we are going to take up a special offering as part of our normal morning. This is above and beyond your normal giving. We currently have $15,000 set aside in the church planting fund at River Rock Bible Church. Um, by best estimates, according to our association, it takes about $135,000 to plant one church. Um, so we've got a long way to go. But I believe God is faithful, and I believe that God is going to either show us a, a way that we can plant churches for less money, or he's going to provide the funds that we need. Last thing is I'd ask you to pray about going. Pray, give, go. Jared and Devin Bush were at Hill Country Bible Church, and they had been there for a couple years before I got there. And they had been challenged by someone who was discipling them to go with the church plant at some time. They began praying, and they said, okay, when is the time to go? And you know what? The guy that was discipling Jared that he was closest with planted a church but Jared said, you know what, now's not the time. I don't feel like God's calling us to go here. And then some know-nothing youth pastor shows up. He's like, hey, I'm planting a church. And they're like, this is it. God told them, we're going. And so they moved from Austin area into Georgetown to help plant this church. And it all started just by praying and asking God, what would you have me do? What would you have me do? And they were joined by eight other families that joined in and said, we want to plant the gospel in Georgetown and watch a church spring up out of that. Will you begin praying? Will you take that first step in helping us plant other churches and reach more men, women, and children with the life-changing reality by becoming a disciple yourself? Will you pray with me? Father, Lord, we, we recognize that the task ahead of us is great but we believe that you are able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine.